You're listening to Rocket Night. Well, we formed in Blackpool about 1979. And by about 1990, the whole that kind of scene was running out of steam. It was like uh, people just weren't going to those gigs anymore. So uh, we stopped the band for about a week and then um, we never got back to doing it again. And I got sidetracked by writing for music papers. I was writing books, doing bits of telly and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I still, I still tour my other band, Gold Blaze. I still have me, me uh, fix of music. Uh, but then um, my buddy Valentine, about four years ago, they're doing ATP Festival. And they asked us to play ATP because years ago when My Body Valentine started, they used to support us. They were like one of our support bands and we were very good friends with them. And the guitar player plays the membranes played in My Body Valentine on their first mini album. So a lot of connections with them. But in the meantime, they become this huge band and we were just like this weird little cult band. So it's an opportunity for them to give us a load of money to come and play a gig. So we played a festival. It went down really well. Then we went to play in Istanbul and a few of the kind of festivals here and there. And we thought, wow, I'm getting a really good reaction for this. It's really, it's really good. But I didn't want to just play old stuff. for well, two reasons, because we, we don't really have any hits, because we're an underground band. And, it, and I thought the, the whole idea of the, the music we make was to keep going forwards. So I want to do new stuff. And I had to, first, people didn't really want to do that, the bands. But then we, we started doing it, it started pouring out. So we thought, let's record this. I got in touch with this guy at Cherry Red, because I knew him via Alan McGee. And I said, do you want to put the record out? And he listed the demos. He said, these are amazing. And I go, well, we didn't even realise they were good. So we... He listened to them, so uh, so he put them out, and uh, the whole thing's like snowballed. Really, just went in the studio to call one album, then there were two a double album because the band was so hot. Every time we started playing something, a song would appear like that. I mean, some of the songs of the album are just jammed straight. They're not even done twice, done once. It's the first ever version of them. Some of the vocals I was just doing straight off the top of my head. So just go to the mic and just sing the first thing that came to my head. And I wanted to use it if it was crap. Yeah, it's, everything's improvised. I love improvised things. Sometimes when we play them live, we play them, every, play them different every time. Just keep the edge on it, just keep moving it around. Because really the music is to capture an atmosphere. And the atmosphere was a dark, melancholic atmosphere, all the great Northwest music, which, which will sound weird if you live in a hot, sunny place. But, <laughs> but Manchester, but, but the, the, the weirdest thing is that people in the Mediterranean and in America love that kind of music, more so than they do in England. You know, it's a... Uh, so, so, it's, but it's the inclement weather in the north because it rains a lot, and and we grew up in that post-industrial period. Right now, me and the guy who's singing this band and producing today, we grew up together, and um, we grew up in a holiday town called Blackpool. So it's a bit like Miami, but not like Miami. It's a bit like a, it's a bit like Las Vegas, tacky holiday town. So we didn't have the the industrial wasteland northern thing, but Manchester and Liverpool did. It was they really were beating up them cities then, and and people didn't sing songs against it, but the, the, the darkness, the gloominess went into the music, and it sounded amazing. So you listen to Joy Division, Joy Division don't do songs about life's not fair, I don't have any money. They just sing songs that reflected what Manchester looked like at that time. You know, if you listen to their music, that's what Manchester did look like. It was all warehouses, broken windows. It looked like this. Doesn't look like this now. It's all like really, it looks like this now. Like expensive buildings everywhere, you know. So that that was. Um, but we grew up with that. That was part of our heritage growing up. So we we 
tapped back into that side, the natural side of our, our music. And it was much more experimental, darker, weirder. And we, the original stuff. Yeah, probably, probably. Well, the original stuff was, and we didn't know how to play that well then because we were so young. When over the years, we so kind of technically you've got more. Yeah, we kind of training. We kind of understand how to do it now. Yeah, yeah. But one of the tricks to keep it simple, actually, the simpler you make it. Now, this this new album is a concept album wrapped around quantum theory physics. Or, yeah. yeah. So you want to talk about why or how that started? I did. A, do you know those TEDx talks? Or TED Talks, where you get 17 minutes to talk about a topic. I did one about uh, punk rock DIY in Salford. And what they do is they get all the guests uh, to sit around and have dinner together. So I sat there. and like got a round table? It's just like a normal table. Like then, just like a table. Like we just had dinner then. And the guy sat opposite me. I said, what do you do, mate? And he goes, I don't want to talk to you because um, you, you, you're going to talk about punk rock. And I love punk rock. I'm a Buzzcocks, my favourite band. Tell me about the Buzzcocks. And I was saying to him, so what, what do you do anyway? He goes, I'm the head of the CERN project in <laughs> doing the Higgs boson thing. You know, doing the Higgs boson uh, project at the time at CERN in Switzerland. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll, I'll tell you about the buzzcocks, but very, 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 very quickly, because you've got to tell me everything about the universe from the beginning to the end. So he starts telling me about it, because he's a really nice bloke. It's called Joe, Joe Incandela, and he's the head of the uh, CERN project. Where is he from? Uh, he's from, a, this is cool, but he comes from a little village near Chicago, 100 houses in it. And one of the people he went to school with was Laurie Anderson. And I said, well, is, that, is that the high-achieving village in America? And she wrote, she wrote the theme tune for her son. They have a little theme tune for it. They're mates, yeah, yeah, so it's quite weird. So he started talking about the universe and how the Big Bang, they trace it back to the first trillionth of a second. How in the end, the universe, all the matter, because it can't hold itself together anymore because, of, well, gravity or whatever forces hold it together, they're not enough of it. And it just it goes into um, endless photons of, of white light that glow forever and ever and ever. Which is kind of like, a, in a weird way, is what uh, they say in Hinduism. or it's like, it's like a vision of, of heaven, but actually a scientific version. Is that going to... So it's an explanation of the cloud. I don't know who's... Maybe yeah. So he explained all this, and then he was talking about when he joined there, they understood... Um, they thought they understood the universe. They thought they were getting close to unravelling it all. And he said now, in the 30 years he's been there... They've gone from thinking they know about 20% to go of it to now knowing about 2% of the information. The more you know, the less you know. Isn't that what they said? That's what he said to me. Yeah, he said, he said the, more, the more we find out, the less we know. And I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. It's just like, um, it's, it's pretty heavy concepts, but really brilliant concepts. And you, and you, you can either say, and I think it's like watching when Swans play live and they play these really intense 30 minute long songs. And people sometimes stand there resisting the sound and they collapse on the floor. Or well, some people just put their hands up in the air and surf on the noise. And I was thinking, in a way, when he was talking about these concepts, you can either sit there and go, no, I don't understand, it's just too mental. Because yeah, there was another bloke on the conversation as well who was a British Olympic gold medal winner. And he was just doing his edit. He said, you're doing my editing, I don't understand. And I was going, no, no, just, just go with it. Just just say, okay, what, what if, what if it's actually, this is what it is. Yeah. So, so I just kind of, I was surfing on the information. And then I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to make music? That sounded like this information, you know what I mean? Right. So it's, it was like, yeah, so but everything is wrapped around that whole theme. But the, the album doesn't go like the, the first song, does go, Let me explain the universe, you know, it's not like corny like that. It was trying to capture with the music, the 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 atmosphere. Oh, you have to be careful, it's a cycle lane, yeah. So it's, it was, uh, yeah, so it's, it's trying to capture that the intensity of his ideas in a musical kind of way. And then he's talking about dark matter and dark energy, and they think 80% of the universe is, is dark matter. And I said, what is dark matter? He goes, 
it's dark. And we, we call it matter because we don't know what it is. We have to call it something. And I was thinking, oh, this is amazing. It's totally amazing stuff. And he's actually on the album. He's on that multiverse suite. He does, he does some talking and what I interviewed him, chopped the interview up. So you can hear, he's got a great voice. He, he's explaining Dark Matter and that thing. He's got well, Dark Matter is, uh, you know, it makes it constitutes most of the universe. Voice. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got, he's got a really great voice, hasn't he? Yeah. So it came from that, really, and I thought, well, Dark Matter, Dark Energy was such a fantastic title for an album. There's a dark record. And also... It is dark. Because it it's... And, well, the mystery of the universe as well. There's all that. There's more artistic um, things getting off the idea of the universe than just listing loads of facts. So it's not. It's a concept album in a sense, but it's trying to capture the atmosphere and the wonderment kind of and the strangeness. It's like an abstract art project. But laced into that, it's also the songs aren't that esoteric. They're about real things. So, so my dad got ill when he's 94, and he died during making the record, and that's tied into the record as well. So the original idea of the record was it's going to start at the beginning of the universe and end with the end of the universe. Then, it, then I was thinking I could actually do my life in there as well. So it starts, you get born, then you die. So n- not directly, obviously, like that. And then when my dad died, I kind of made it about my dad in a way. So the last track of the album, The Hum of the Universe, is about, um, it's about death, really, and how you basically just turn back into the dust of the universe. Carbon. Yeah, so you, we, we're all part of the universe. And people always think of the universe as something that's over there, but this, it's here, it's on the floor, isn't it? And then, then when, when, when he died and we watched him die, it was basically floating off into the eternity in a sense, uh, not a religious sense, but just a practical sense, because he's quite scientific, my dad. He'd have understood that. And he's actually talking to me in the track. I got a little clip of him where, where I got him in the old people's home because I thought he's going to die soon. So I recorded him. We had a 45-minute conversation about the universe. And it goes a great bit where he goes, you were always interested in the universe, weren't you, son? And I clipped that out and put it in the track. But my mum can't listen to that at all. You know, it's too much for her, that bit. Yeah, but he would like. He would have thought that was really cool. That you know, he would yeah. Approved uh, totally of that. Oh well, because it was about the universe and science, and he was fascinated by that. And the home of the universe is also about the fact the universe has a musical note. It's B minor, about forty-five steps down. So it drones. So we got into drones as well. So the drones on the album trying to get the drone of the universe, and that track is that the home is in B minor and trying to make a musical equivalent of the home of the universe, and also tie it in with the idea of uh, med- meditation. Jesus, how noisy it's London. <laughs> you can't even do a fucking interview with that. I, I like the idea of uh, when you meditate, you try and get into, into, uh, into the perfect the zone. zone. I call it the yeah, zone. and that's the same as the home of the universe, because I, I like the idea that you're trying to lock into the note of the universe in your mind. So there's all those kind of things going on that record. So it's, it's, it's a complex record. But at the same time, you can, you can actually jump up and down to it. This is a very deep topic. Do you think people will get what you're trying to do? You can't make records worrying about what other people think, you know. It's, it's, we, we actually purely, ridiculously spent a year making records that we had no idea anyone else was going to like. So just sat there, chipping away. It was mainly me. Once the band had recorded, I was in there mixing it, doing the vocals, messing about with it. I spent every penny I had on that record. I've got no money now, so skin. But you know when you make a painting, you just make the painting. You don't think you're going to sell the painting. So it was like a work of art in a sense. And then when it, put, when it started coming out, we stopped, I sent it off to a few websites that were friends of mine who like the same kind of music. And I said, just be straight. You don't have to like be nice because we're mate. And they come back going, this is fucking amazing. This is the fucking greatest thing, you know. This is record of the year. And it's, this has started to roll and roll and roll in a way that we just never expected at all, you know. So it's been like a bit of a shock the last six weeks. Yeah. Now, I understand you're going to be coming to the U.S. soon. Tell me about your tour. Well, so... T- we started sending it out to people. We saw sending agents, and I saw this woman called Jodie in New Orleans was Killing Joke's agent. I Killing Joke are an amazing band, one of my favourite bands. I thought, I'll just chance that. Wouldn't it be great to have the same agent as Killing Joke? 
I emailed her and she comes straight back and goes, yeah, I know you are, because she's English. She goes, I remember you from years ago. I said, do you want to check the record out? I said, she goes, this is amazing, I'll book you a tour. And she said, uh, you might need a record deal. And I go, well, who do you suggest? And she said, suggested one label, uh, Metropolis, and she, we sent it off to him. Mm-hmm. And he came back an hour late and signed it. It was like, <laughs> and that, that was easy, wasn't Smart it? Man. <laughs> Smart man. So all that bit's been easy, but the, the hard bit's actually, you know, if we're playing in Denver, who the fuck's going to go? Because I've never been to Denver in my life, you know. It's, uh, and we have, we do, I mean, nowadays people go to gigs, is it, you know, they'll fit, is it pop punk, post punk, this time? People go to scene gigs, but we don't fit in anywhere. So I don't know how the hell... Well, how, how would you describe the music? Well, I guess in a sense we grew out of post-punk because we came out of punk. And, um, I call it post-punk. Yeah, and it's, it's in that kind of ballpark. It's quite psychedelic in parts. And it's our own thing in other parts. I guess the post-punk thing is because the bass is the lead instrument when it's always the lead instrument. Post-punk is key instruments and everything else fits around it. That's our period, but it does sound kind of now as well. So it's, we didn't want to make it as a retro piece. We want to make it as it is now, but you can't help the things you love, can you? And I, I love like lead bass, so that has to be in there. I love guitars that don't sound like guitars. I like guitars that sound like percussion. Ebo, Ebos are amazing, is, aren't they? It sounds like a synthesizer, yeah. Or yeah. violin. Yeah, they make yeah. drones. You can make them sound like uh, classical instruments. We're actually doing a pretty amazing gig at the end of September. We're going to pl- go to Estonia and play in a science week with a 30-piece all-woman choir. And they're going to sing into the tracks. And we're going to do a single and put that out in the autumn. Yeah. I know, I'd, I'd never worked the choir before. But I seen a play when I was in Estonia in March. I was going, wow, your choir's amazing. I wrote a review of it with good friends. They like our music. Because I think, well, that'll work, won't it? We like each other. Pink Floyd used to work, so. <laughs> We might use it a different way. We're going to use it more as a, a dark drone and bring everything in on, on the... I can, like chanting or kind of... They uh, do chanting, yeah. yeah. So, like, say the first track of the album, The Universe Explodes, is a very droney track. I can hear the beginning there, kind of going, wah, and we coming over the top of it. Kind of like, yeah, that kind of thing, meditative sound. Because that's in there, it's an ohm in that track anyway. But the tracks like Space Junk, which is a more funky track, I th- in my head I'd imagine, well, I'd just go in there and go, wah, and wave the hands in the air and put them down again. And I think that would actually visually look amazing. Because there's 30 of them. The old... So you'll be making a video? We're going to film it, yeah, because their national TV will film it. Because they all dress in red and we'll all dress in black and they'll stand in a semicircle around us and we'll play. And it'll look amazing, you know, yes. look really good. Because visual things are important. Yeah. Sure. Friday, September the 25th. Yeah, and we're going to have a scientist from Turkey talk about, I'm going to interview him about the universe because we did a couple of events. The first thing we did before the album, we did a thing called The Universe Explained, where a certain scientist came to Manchester and I interviewed him on stage about particle physics. This woman came, explained how life could appear anywhere in the universe and how it could work like that. And we had this string section playing a drone thing at the beginning. And then we did a, a, a Higgs boson experiment with ping pong balls to show people how it worked. And then we played at the end and it was mind blowing. It's a really good night. Yeah. I mean, it's totally self-indulgent. Have you always been into science and learning about things? Yeah. See, the, the idea that people people think everyone's punks just into getting off their heads, but I'm more, that's, that's actually like narrowing things down. I'm into everything, you know. I'm into them flowers. I like flowers and trees and plants and birds and bricks and where stuff comes from. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's actually really boring. The worst thing in rock and roll yeah. is people just getting off their heads. And you sit in a room with people off their heads. It's actually deathly dull. Because they think they're being really wild, but all they're doing is looking at the floor. And the next day they always go, oh, God, what did I do last night? I can't remember. You go, you didn't do anything. You sat in a chair. You didn't move. (laughs) I know, I know. And as you're getting older, the time's more and more precious, isn't it? You want to know more, see more, do more, don't you? And how things work. Yeah. What the meaning is of everything. Yeah, well, maybe there is no meaning. Because I was thinking about the universe thing. It actually is just chaos and a random. What they're into now is the multiverse project. The the, the multiverse. They, they, They think there's endless infinite universes go on forever and ever 
And what that Joe was saying, anything that ever, ever could happen in a scenario like this is happening somewhere else. It could be us three and a lizard standing there scratching his head, you know, and that'd be one universe. Another universe, that lizard would be there, an owl come and eat it. Or, or we, we, That's his universe. So every, every, every single thing that could ever happen and every single variation may be happening somewhere else. So maybe the dinosaurs didn't die out in another universe on our, our planet. Maybe but, they're someplace else. Yeah, well, maybe yeah, where we're living, maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's two. Well, there's millions. Well, there's already in this universe, there's endless planets, you know, and there's life on them. It'd be totally weird to only have life here. It, yeah, it's that's impossible. A, it'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? How because it could in a, in a trillion billion planets, it doesn't take much to work out. Some of them are going to be Goldilocks planets, are they? You know, that's where life exists. They reckon they've already found three or four of the perfect scenarios for life, don't they? Yeah. You also do journalism and you produce different bands. Tell me about some of the other things that you're working on right now. Well, I do a website called Louds and War. We write about mainly about music, but other stuff now and then as well. Just because there's so much great music. And I was right for the websites, but I have too many ideas. You couldn't fit them all in. So I started doing my own website just to write about them, really. So then other people write for it as well. And it's become quite a big website. Um, I write books. I'm just doing a book now. I'm halfway through a book about darker music. Because the story post-punk's been rewritten in England. They never put bands like Bauhaus in or, or those kind of groups. They kind of sneer at for being golf bands. But they're actually great bands, innovative bands in their own right. I mean, of course, I love the Gang of Four. And the four of those bands are really key bands. But you can't have half a history. So I'm just writing the other half, which has never been covered before. So just doing that. And there's a TV thing working on, like an arts programme. I had a meeting these people in London the other week. And, and they said, this works, great idea. Then they got in touch last week and said, Pinewood Studios rang, rang them up and said, have you got an arts programme idea? And they sent it to them and go, yep, we'll do that. And they're going to put money into it. So it looks like that might come off the ground. So I'd be presenting that if it works. But TV does have a habit of being yes, 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 no. <laughs> You're pretty busy. You've yeah, yeah, I overlap projects. a lot of stuff. Yeah, thank God for iPads. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's interesting... Uh, post-punk and all these labels we never used to call it that when it was happening did we no, no and and no. now what we call new wave is old wave isn't it kind of interesting how everybody has labeled these genres well pop music's always in the present anyway isn't it? you never think of the future do you so new wave made sense at the time and it's just funny now how new wave is called new wave that was 35 that's years old yeah. but post-punk didn't exist when it, i remember that time yeah, I don't, I don't and that's my argument the book post-punk now they define it as a type of music and there wasn't a type of music then. No. There was just what happened after punk, and it was quite diverse. There's a lot of different scenes, wasn't there? We called it, like, industrial music, or we had different names for it back then. But it's kind of funny now when I look back. I don't remember it being called all these names. It was just punk. Well, it was kind of, yeah, punk was, there was industrial music. And there was, like, subgenres, but post-punk wasn't really a thing, and post-punk had become a scene, which didn't exist. I think it's just a handy historical piece of terminology. But history's like that as well, isn't it? You know, like uh, when the Roman Empire collapsed, most people in Europe wouldn't even realise it had gone, would they? So it's only like 100 years later, people say, oh, yeah, that ended, didn't it? So at the time when you're living through it, it just, it's just it's, it's happening, isn't it? you can't see it as a cultural thing, can you? What do you think about punk rock today versus punk rock, let's say, 30 years ago? How has it changed? Well, it's become a thing now. And Americans totally dominate the punk rock culture now, don't they? It's a massive American scene. Uh, but, but, but a lot of the bands are too smooth sound they're too well produced to me so they have the, like, the really perfect vocals the perfect harmonies and there's no raspiness to it it's too clean so punk rock though was never a style of music in the first place but it was, it was an attitude more than anything so, so, so some groups that people now you play and they go that's not punk rock and you go what do you mean this, this is not a style of music so a group like Suicide who are an amazing band 
but they, they're already older than everyone there but it's just one guy keyboards one guy singing at the time of course a lot of punks didn't like him but a few punks did like him they're very influential on a few people but they're an example of what a punk was at very wide parameters you know it wasn't, it wasn't a style of music but it's become a style of music now where it's usually four blokes there's always seems to be blokes guitar, bass, drums, vocals garage bands basically but loud and, yeah. and, and the thing is in the old it, days it, it had a purpose yeah. Well, it still has now. You still, I mean, Green Day are a pop band, really, but they're kind of punky, but they sing political songs. So American Idiot is actually a fantastic political album. I interviewed Anti-Flag yeah. about uh, a few months ago, and it's funny, when I was talking to the kids that were watching, I said, are you, are you political? Are you into political topics? And they said, oh, no, I'm not political. Do you like Anti-Flag? Do you like their message? Well, what message? They're not even hearing what anti-flag is trying to say do you know what i mean but in the punk days it's like that most kids who went to see the clash wouldn't be political you know i've got friends well not friends but i know people like crass who are like nazi skinheads you know so, so a lot of people don't it's like david cameron the british prime minister likes the smiths and people his favorite album is the queen is dead and said to the people said to him what do you know what that's about and he goes oh i don't but i don't I, 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 he gets it but he avoids that part so i mean it's good that people do the debate but, but i think maybe I don't, I, don't, I don't think musicians have to be responsible to be political, but obviously there are political people involved in music. But isn't that the heart, politics, and it was a way to express themselves because of the economy and the different things that were happening, happening at the time? It, in a sense, but very small part. I think, I, I love political songs, you know, especially when they're on the left, and obviously ones on the right are a bit more awkward, aren't they? See, that's true as well, because even if you hear a really great, if you hear a really great song that's got right-wing lyrics, you probably still like the song, because you actually do ignore the lyrics. So I'm not steering those people for, for not listening to Anti-Flag or The Smiths or whatever, you know, because it's, it's a bit... Also, there's a contradiction at the heart of rock and roll, isn't there? So if you get like, um, like Joe Strummer, who, well, I love Joe Strummer, of course, but when he's singing uh, songs against establishment, in the end, he ends up doing very well out of it. Doesn't he? he's, like a, he's like a multi-millionaire who had a big house singing songs against establishment. And that's not his fault, because that's how the system is. But it makes it very difficult, and it's so contradictory that people can see the contradictions so over the years. I mean, you look at Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's worth like $100 million, isn't he? But he's still a symbol of a political, idealistic era that probably wasn't anywhere near as idealistic as people assume it was, you know? Because... Things people say, well, punk, everyone's really political. I'll go, were they? What about the Ramones? Bubblegum bands. Half the band voted Republican. Well, it met, not, one of the greatest bands of all time, but, but DJ and Johnny Ramone were Republicans. They, they thought Ronald Reagan was the greatest man ever, didn't they? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, quite a lot of people in punk are actually quite right wing. So when people say it should be this and it should be that, and it used to be this and it used to be that, I always had to correct them a bit, you know. The Clash had a vague political thing going on. They're kind of leaning on the left a bit. Yeah. The Pistols were completely nihilistic. They weren't political at all, but it was necessary. Needed, culture needed a blowtorch. England needed waking up. And you could trace a lot of what's happened in England back to the Pistols, but, but not on, you know, by accident came from them. A lot of the bands weren't that political, but then there's a lot of people involved in punk who had an axe to grind, who kind of... So that's the thing, people bring their own... You can listen to a piece of music and everyone's got a different interpretation of it, haven't they? So, so to some people, like Bob Dylan, is like, you know, he's the counterculture. And to other people, he just has good tunes that somebody else covered. You know, it's... It's, it's weird now you look at the Rolling Stones because you see I see pictures in Tour in America and it's like loads of old hippies there yeah. paying a hundred dollars to go and see the Stones and for a minute they think they think they're back in the sixties and that's when it was all the idealistic thing which it was in a sense but the Stones were never idealistic the Stones are always about just taking the money True. they're the greediest people ever you know they changed the style when disco was in they became disco and different genres they're good at disco yeah but they're, they're kind of good at doing disco because the thing about the Stones was and there's a lot of things in their favour. 
they were great at doing black music, you know. So disco was black music, and blues were funk. I mean, they were great, great at playing black music, you know, and that's their thing because it's hard to play it as good as the black guys can play it. You know, white guys aren't as funky just the way it is, isn't it? But when, but, but the Stones were pretty funky, you know, and they, they were good at that. And when they did their disco songs, they're actually good at doing disco songs, you know. It's probably one of the, I love that song. It's probably one of the last great things they did, wasn't it? Miss You. Yeah. yeah. That's a good song. I mean, everything's good about the Stones, apart from the fact they're just greedy fuckers, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> you think by now they do world tour and say, it's free. We don't need any more money. Thank, thanks for supporting us for 50 years and making us multi-trillionaires. I, I actually said that recently about Paul McCartney because the tickets were like $300 or something like that. And I thought, you know what? The fans made you. Couldn't you do a charity concert? Yeah. Couldn't you do a couple of freebies and throw us a bone? Because you would not be where you are if it wasn't for the fans. That's and how I, I think. And I think music has a value. I think people should pay for music. You know, if you're in a band, you need to get paid. You know. Concert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone like that, he doesn't need the money anymore. And, and he takes money out of the, uh, the music market as well. Because if he's charged $300, if he went to that, you wouldn't be able to go to a gig for six months, you know. So, like, so small bands should get paid. People should be living off it. And all those and people shouldn't take music for free. But when you get people that rich, they, they, maybe they should just charge $10 just to cover the costs, you know. They don't take their cuts because they're so loaded. They're, they're, I always think that with U2. In fact, U2's worse. That's even more hypocrisy, isn't it? They tell people, like, Africa's got no money. And, um, and they say to people in Ireland they should pay their tax. And they took all their money out of Ireland and put it into Holland so they wouldn't have to pay tax. And in Glastonbury, people held up these banners saying, pay your tax, and they, they got their security to throw them out. And I was thinking, if you were, yep. if you were an ounce of punk rock to you, you go to those people, protest, and go, it's my money, what the fuck's it got to do with you? I mean, they could be, they, that's what you... They're, that's not, what, they're not supporting the people that... that no. Because I went to Dublin, and I asked people about U2, and that's exactly what they said, that they were resentful against Bono and U2 for taking the money out of Ireland yeah. instead of helping the people there well they always say they did put it back in by building a five-star hotel but I think well that's not quite north that's not south this is south it's Dublin upper coast. yeah you know, you know. it's not their job to subsidize everybody but at the same time they can't go around you know hey look I'm like Jesus no you're not Bono you're not like Jesus Jesus probably didn't exist but the mythical version of Jesus whatever it is um, wasn't like that he went out he went, to, he, went, he went to the temple and, and he uh, kicked the tables over from the money lenders and threw him out the church didn't he that's not quite the same as Bono is it <laughs> John I love the way you're listening to Rock at Night thanks for the intro melody it's called Get On Down by Billy Bass Alford Thanks. <laughs>